Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanish, so let's be friends. Now that the football is over, we can concentrate on what really matters, and that is getting rid of all chicanes in F1. And I've also decided I now want to get rid of all the hills in F1 as well. But we are going to cover all the news because I've lost track of who is in charge of every team. So I'm sure my panel will help me rediscover which of the five team bosses that has moved is now in employment with another team or has indeed gone off to start a pub, to open a pub. Uh, We'll we'll watch the, the rest of the week's news with close attention as well because Mick Schumacher is now the reserve driver at Mercedes, but we are still an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I am joined in the shed, as I I so often am, by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going there, Matt? Williams is furiously denying rumors I will be their next team principal. Well, okay, maybe more like they just haven't said anything about it at all. We should all check our inboxes in case one of us is accidentally an F1 team principal. Indeed, there has been quite a bit of uh, dancing about the top uh, positions in the last week or so. Just when we thought silly season was over, it got even sillier. Uh, Well, I hope you're keeping up because I certainly haven't been. Uh, We're also joined by Chris Stevens. How's it going, Chris? 
Hey, Spanners, I am uh, fresh off a night of merriment <laughs> at the Mist Apex Christmas party, hosted uh, very generously by our own Mr. Brad Philpot. How can it be the Mist Apex Christmas party when you had it in the wrong country? I'm in Spain and you had it in Britain. I feel insulted and hurt and hurt. I mean, it was a very deliberate uh, ploy. What you don't realise is that we've been pushing you to move to Spain ah, for several years. We've been inceptioning you since the start of Missed Apex. The perfect crime. And also we're joined by Alex Jeansy Van Jean in a Christmas jumper. And I'm sure you wouldn't have betrayed me by going to the wrong country Christmas party. Yeah, absolutely. Considering my best mate hosted it. So yeah. Ah, yeah. Um, it was a mega fun night getting drinking daiquiris made by our race director rich malden and tequila not uh, and tequila slammers supplied by you yay my tequila got there in time and in time now is the news and that's coming to you right now yeah uh, matt this is normally the time of year where we have a little bit of freedom away from the the news ticker a, a little bit of creative license but so far this season, the F1 news has kept ramping up. And I, I'm, sort of, I'm sort of mildly suspicious whether all this team principal news was all ready to go, say, in November. And they went, no, 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 hang on a minute, hang on. We've got to stay in the headlines come December 18th. Yeah, well, you have to applaud the writers at liberty for giving us this kind of a narrative in between the uh, end of the season and the start of the next season. And I don't know about you, but I don't think it was a huge surprise, some of what we heard, but some of it definitely was. And and uh, whenever you're ready, we can dive right into some of those details. Uh, yes. Okay. So, I mean, we could start with what I, what I know, which is that Benotto got sacked, which is bizarre because Ferrari absolutely... Uh, oh, 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 did he did he not get sacked, Chris? Well, he he jumped before he was pushed. Oh, okay. It was one of those, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Much. Okay. Okay. So I think, does anybody here think that that, that wasn't the case? Like he didn't go, oh, I'm, I'm tired of Formula One and I'm really behind on my fishing. Find <laughs> me at the nearest riverbank. It's what? a shame because I feel like he was actually making Ferrari likable again. I say again, making Ferrari likable. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and actually building maybe an ethos of trust in the team that, mistakes can be made and not be severely punished by i don't know firing line by the italian special forces um it it's it's like they've taken what could have been a good manager or if they gave him a little bit more time and just taken the football manager approach and gone nope we don't have instant results get out it's a really good analogy chris because they came out and they specifically said no we have we have full confidence in mattia bonotto uh, he's not going anywhere bonotto himself came out and said these rumors are just you know silliness from mm -hmm. the italian press so the first thing i want to establish is I, I don't want anyone coming back to us at rumor time saying well the teams have said that's not true because there are several teams now on the grid who will just out and out release a press statement that says a, a lie Call it what it yeah. was. It was a lie. And you're a PR guy, Chris. Like that, you can't do that too many times, can you? That's quite a nuclear option. Well, I, the idea that there's a speculation in the media, that response from the team to say, no, this is, this is not true and we're not going to respond to any of the speculation, is the equivalent of getting an out-of-office automatic reply from someone. Um, there's very rarely any meaning to it at all. 
Um, I think that Ferrari, the the, the higher ups, you know, in, in terms of the broader company, not just the Formula One team, uh, have spoken very harshly about Mattia Binotto and his time at Ferrari because we forget that, okay, maybe this year they had a chance to fight for the title and they didn't quite deliver on that, but it was still their best year in Formula One since 2018. Mm. And uh, since Mattia came, uh, took on the role of team principal and and uh, sort of managing director as well. So um, I feel like it's um, it's very harsh, especially when we anticipate that Ferrari are going to be title contenders next year again, assuming they build on what they've created uh, this year. But the comments that were that were made were very harsh. You know, oh, second is the first of the losers, and they only seem to care about. Uh, being in first place which of course every Formula 1 team does but it failed to acknowledge what yeah. Matteo Bonotto had actually accomplished within that team I, I just want to go to Alex's point again which is that you know making Ferrari likeable I'd not really thought about it because my default just from a sporting point of view is to hate Ferrari uh, but you're you're sort of right in that they did seem like a team where where they had top cover for the first time and and it felt like you know the, their their manager their boss was there like gunning for them, even even in the face of like these horrendous mistakes? He would go, "Oh no, 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 no! That was just the wind, and a seagull dropped a coconut." Uh, Matt, yeah, and I think this the intriguing thought is that whether intentionally or not, Ferrari top management by saying things like second is first loser" may have talked themselves out of Bonato doing that job for another year. And maybe finally bringing to Ferrari some of the more ephemeral things that they need to really to win a championship. We don't know for sure. And now we'll never know for sure. It's amazing the effect that it's had on Formula One. Because Binotto going was the first domino in this huge run of Vassar coming in from Sauber and Seidel going to Sauber and then uh, the changes, the other changes at McLaren as well. It's, it's had a huge implication on the rest of the grid. Yeah. And, and at this, Matt, is where, you know, I, I really do lean on you and depend on you. Who works where now? Well, uh, let's start at Ferrari, <laughs> okay? Since that's where that where we are now, and and this will be uh, Cedric Vasseur, formerly of Alfa Romeo, formerly uh, uh, team principal for good old Leclerc. There has been, after much speculation that all turned out to be more or less right, moved over to run Ferrari. Okay. Um. Firstly, I thought he was called Fred Vasseur, and I've just googled it. I did not know. The yeah, it's Frederic. So what did you what call did I him? Say? I can't remember. You said Cedric. Cedric. So Cedric. I thought you confused. That's pretty much I was, the I was same like... name, isn't it? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> no, Frederick and Cedric are two different words. <laughs> no, okay, okay. Let's try. So we're only separated by a couple of letters in the alphabet. Let's not like get one. Here. Let's be over familiar and always call him Fred, as if we're his best mates at a barbecue. But of course, you mentioned that Charles Leclerc link, and uh, Fred Vasseur also owns the uh, the ART Grand Prix team that you see racing in Formula Two and Formula Three that Charles Leclerc raced for in oh, uh, okay. what was when it was called GP3, and they won the title together um, as well. And of course, got you know had his first Formula One uh, seat with Fred Vasseur at at, um, at Alfa Romeo as well. So 
they have a, a, a pretty good relationship and a long-standing one at that as well. So I feel like that's going to be very beneficial. But I think the important thing is that Ferrari have hired from outside of the company rather than yeah. um, hiring from within. Um, which is obviously you know different to McLaren's response, for example. But I feel like with Ferrari, it was very much needed because we keep on talking about there's some sort of systemic issue, and Vasseur yeah. is a renowned problem identifier and solver. Examples, and I think. Uh, well, there's there's loads of cases of how he turned around Sauber very quickly. I think in his first day he canned the Honda engine agreement that they were supposed to have for 2018 um, as well. So he's done a great job of, of turning Sauber around and he should very quickly be able to identify the problems in the Ferrari Formula One team. Yes, his actual record uh, since returning to Sauber in uh, 2017, which became Alfa Romeo in 2018, was 10th, 8th, 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 9th, and sixth this past season mm. when we had the uh, aero regulation reset. I'm he may be good at identifying problems, but it's not like Alvaro Romeo didn't have their own operational problems this season. So I'm I'm going to wait and see if he's any more capable of addressing them than uh, Mattia was. Any counter on that, Chris? Because he's painted a bit more of a, a negative picture than you well i think alfa romeo's had a lot more issues um this season the, the main problem being the uh the lack of development throughout the season obviously we all know they started the season with the lightest car one of you know one or two teams that was actually able to meet the new uh minimum weight regulations uh because it was so much harder with the new heavier cars to actually meet the that standard and that's why they really hit the ground running um this year and it sort of tailed off um but i i think i feel like you're you're right in that he's going to be really under the spotlight now as a ferrari team principal not just from the ferrari higher ups but from the italian media neither are known for being very forgiving to the formula one team alex yeah yeah fred fred doesn't take any prisoners though um and i i think he has the the will and the uh, personality to lead that team. And hopefully we'll see some good things. If the technology department is still doing the good things that they did with the car, he can go and kick some butt in the strategy department and make sure they're not making some of the absolute howlers um, that they made this season. There should be something in contention. But, I mean, I, I, I still go back and think it's harsh on Bonotto because I don't think even with all the strategy woes, even without some of the reliability issues, I still don't think they would have beaten Red Bull. So I still think they did the best that they could have done. I mean, it would have been less of a squeaky bum time to lose second place to Mercedes, but um, I don't think they would have done much better. Um, so it's still harsh, but I think I think Fred I think uh, Fred Vasseur is a, a good option. Well, the interesting thing to me is um, talking on the technical side briefly one of Ferrari's biggest weaknesses has been bringing developments throughout the course of the season. And when we look at Alfa Romeo, as Chris correctly identifies, they showed up with a really good car that was the lightest car and therefore extremely competitive at the beginning. It was also the shortest car, interestingly, I learned. Um, but will he be able to, in fact, 
help Ferrari do better with their development, which is which is an area that even Bonato this season certainly didn't meet that bar. Well, I would love to know how much time Mattia Bonato was still putting into his previous role as technical director, which he was never properly replaced mm. for when he became uh, team principal. Yeah. So now I think they have to put someone else in that role specifically. And uh, I, I think it will be interesting to see how that changes as well, because by the sounds of it, Bonato was trying to juggle two roles there. Uh, and interestingly, he's not quite the same job as Bonato either. So the worry oh. that I have is, and now I just need to explain, there are certain people who are specialist in nothing but parsing Italian media and Ferrari. That is not me. I'm, I'm building on their work here. But uh, according to those who really study the issue, he, he's taken on slightly different titles, which might mean there could be more involvement from above, from the Benedetto Vigna and from the uh, Elcan level, which may not make things better since neither of them are Formula One, um, I guess, born and bred, for lack of, of a better word. The, the last thing I think um, I'm curious about with uh with Vasseur going there, if you say it's because of a, or was helped because of a link with Charles Leclerc, then how does Carlos Sainz feel about that? That must make you a little bit on edge, Chris, mustn't it? If, um, you know, the, the new boss is coming in and he's already best buddies with a guy you're already struggling to stay on pace with. Well, no, but Fred's a straight shooter. He's not going to suddenly go in and, and pre- prefer, just because of that relationship anyway. If if he starts spanking him in the standings, then yes, he will do something about that. But he's not going to go into race one saying, yes, Charlie's my favourite and science, you can have the rubbish strategy today. I don't think anyone's under any um, delusion that Charles is the favourite in that team anyway. Yeah. And I also think, but I do think um, Carlos is close. And I actually think they're one of the best pairings on the grid. So I think any team boss coming in to try and upset that dynamic would be making a really, really big mistake. Because I think Carlos struggled a lot at the beginning of the season. He was much better towards the end of the season. I expect him to be even better next year. I don't expect him to beat Charles on outright pace and race pace um, over the course of a season. But he'll be close, and that's what Ferrari need. They need a, they need a, they need two drivers on their team who aren't going to fight and aren't going to argue. But one is clearly quicker than the other. But Sainz is a, a better strategist and a, is able to look Agreed. at the bigger picture in the the race more often than not. Whereas Charles just seems to go for speed, speed, speed um, at the risk of going off. Sometimes France would be a good example, whereas Sainz is has extra elements that uh, balances the uh, the effect i think carlos has a stronger head than charles yeah charles is, so. charles is still very self-deprecating and i think um carlos knows what he's capable of um and doesn't want to accept anything less than that but oh. won't outward but won't outwardly force outwardly outwardly force that one okay uh, so I, I think there's there's two slightly different challenges uh, with those two drivers i think carlos signs is fighting for his position in the pecking order of ferrari charles leclerc is a step ahead and is already fighting for his position in f1 history and for titles so 
I think uh, I'd be hard pressed. I know this will upset you, Matt, to compare those two. I think Carlos Sainz, career wise, is is a step behind Leclerc. You know, Leclerc's already done the work of coming in and being the cuckoo and elbowing elbowing Vettel out of the nest. It's kind of it's up to Sainz to do that now. He's still got that mountain to climb. But I think Alex is right. No one's under any illusion that Leclerc's the number one. Yeah, and this is a situation that, if it can be properly managed, will be good for Ferrari um, because they will score more points. And and with a strong second runner, as we all know, you deny your closest rivals important <laughs> championship points, which is what it's all about. I think Carlos admitted in an interview, he was like, yeah, yeah, no, Leclerc absolutely handed me my rear end at the beginning of the season. And I really had to go back to school to figure out where those tents were being lost. But I feel like I figured it out. And the good news for the both of them is um, it seems like the rumors are that the power unit issues have been solved and they're going to be able to turn it back up to the tune of 30 additional horsepower. And aerodynamically, they already had a good car. And if they solve the issues they had with it in the second half of the season, you know, they're properly on for being another contender next next year. 100% agreed. And there was, there was some driving technique that Charles worked out quite early on in the 2022 uh, cars to do with uh, the balance. And uh, it took science a little bit longer to figure that one out. But you saw yep. once he did, he, he started to hit the ground running, first pole position, first race win, and things like that. And it's interesting what you say, Spanners, about how he's been in Formula 1 quite a bit longer than Charles. But in terms of his career, he is quite a fit, bit far behind because he spent much longer dealing with the midfield teams. That stint at McLaren as well, uh, via Renault as well. Um, whereas Charles pretty much hit the big time quite early on and, and science is only just getting into that position, but you can see him use those extra years of experience now that they're alongside each other. Yeah. I, I think you're referencing the technique he was of crossing the throttle and the brake to get the car to turn in properly. Uh, right. Okay. So before we go on to like what is going on with the rest of the team principal drama and where that puts everyone else, because there's now, a bunch of teams without a boss, as far as I can tell, until presumably Alex tells me what's going on with the rest of them. The first question I have for you, Vangine, is you're old as well. I've just found out today, even though you've been doing this with us for like six years, today you said, like, I'm 38. And I was like, ooh, gross. Where's my young dynamic panel gone? Why have I just got a bunch of old guys? Yeah, when 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 I joined, I was young, thin, yeah. and doing lots of racing. You which were, is the reason, which is the reason you had me on because I was the only one that, yeah. in the panel that actually had any had racing turned, experience. Had, who, who had touched the steering wheel? You were <laughs> you were magnificent, Vangine. Look at you now, hey, no, struggling no. to beat spanners at karting events. My goodness, only because of weight. Anyway, okay. let's not have that conversation. And I'm not honest. exactly <laughs> sitting here with five percent body fat either. Um, but yeah, fifteen years ago, you would have been a twenty-three year old F1 fan. <sighs> I know. Sorry about that. But okay. But look, mid two thousands. Go back to like two thousand and and three, something like that. Two thousand and five. How many team principals did you know? I think I know knew John Tott and Martin Whitmarsh, and I think that was about it. We we never had this level of interest or knowledge 
about who was the team boss. And Christian Horner, because the whole hoo-ha that came when he came as the youngest ever oh, yeah, there's that, um, yeah. team principal, and that he wouldn't last. It's a shame he did last, but oh well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, as far as, you know, you, you knew who the... And Ron Dennis, of course. Oh, Ron Dennis, Obviously course. not a team principal, but owner, yeah. but you, you knew who the people in the team were, the ones Hang who on. put them forward and put themselves Wasn't in front of the camera. Wasn't Ron Dennis but- team principal at, at one point? No. Yeah, he was. was yeah, he, yeah, was yeah, he yeah, team yeah, principal? Yeah. Or was he he was just the boss, wasn't he? No, I don't know. He did whatever he did whatever he wanted. <laughs> yeah. You know, okay. So, um, so yeah. But did I know who ran? God, some Menard- of the lower who, teams. Who was the Menard boss? Think, I think. I think. I started to take notice of who was the team principals when the new teams came in. Um, when the caterums and because 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 there was real fights between um, Hernandez and um, oh, see yeah. now I've forgotten their names now that I've said <laughs> it um, there was Hernandez and Chris oh, well, you helped had, me out you had Boulier didn't you at Lotus initially before yeah. Matthew Carter took over uh, there was well, that was who... the different Lotus wasn't it oh right yeah oh yeah yeah well there we go the, the little bald guy whose name I can't remember so there you go I think my point is being made somewhat but the thing is I think now most enthusiastic F1 fans could name half of the team principles which is you know partly down to the DTS kind of effect and the fact that Gunther Steiner can be basically a celebrity in F1 that is a massive change for the boss of of a midfield team well, do you know all the? Okay, maybe you're not a football fan, but I think most football fans can name all of the team managers in the Premier League, um, or whatever. Is it the Premier League that's the top one? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you might have outed yourself as not, not a uh, question you should ask after a statement like that. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't watch it. I just hope all the teams have fun. Uh, but yeah, so maybe it's an indication <laughs> of the growth of the sport now that these team principals really are characters and personalities and i don't think that's going to change and i actually think that that will influence the team's choice as well in who they bring forward so i, I wonder if binotto would be the the correct candidate if the dts thing had started a few years earlier so i, I think that's just interesting to kind of watch as we go forward you're a pr guy chris like has must I be am. dining out on gunter steiner because he is an absolutely fantastic frontman for for Haas, well, he's absolutely the reason anyone is a fan of Haas. Uh, really, uh, the fact that they are the sort of plucky team with the very irate team principal, um, because he is definitely a big character. He put Haas on the map for a new generation of fans. Of course, there was obviously the American influence as well. Matt's gonna sit here and tell me about how amazing it is to have an American team in in Formula One with someone with the backing of someone like Gene Haas as well, who is a legendary name in American motorsport, but um, for the, obviously the wider audience, yes, Gunter Steiner put that team on the map. I'm sorry, between Magnussen's quips in his first go-round <laughs> and Grosjean's fireball. That was I mean, four years yeah. after the team entered the sport. But still, I'm, I'm just saying, yes, yeah, Steiner helped, but uh, it was a team effort. That's all I'm saying. I'm, I'm sure you're right. It was a team effort. But I think if we look back to this era of Haas and we were to do a looking back at Haas, the origin story in 10 years time when they've just picked up their fourth world title, we will definitely look back at the Gunter Steiner years. It definitely helped that they also had one of the dodgiest sponsors in Formula One history. Oh, yes. That was definitely a a good story for them. Anyway, uh, Van Jean, uh, who has been left without a team boss then? So 
uh, Alfa Romeo, Salvo. And Williams. No longer has a team boss. Williams no longer has a team boss. Help me with this shuffle. But we had um, Andreas Seidel, who was the McLaren team principal, who has gone to be CEO at Alpha. And I don't understand what that role what? is. No, so it's CEO of the Sauber group. Oh, okay. Right. okay. So Sauber not directly the F1 team. Well, no, it, it, it is because Sauber runs the team. Alfa Romeo is just a name. Mm. It, it really is. Yeah. It's, it's basically title sponsorship. That is still very much the Sauber uh, team. And uh, and it will be, you know, even when uh, Audi come in in 2026, and it will be sort of Audi Sauber. I don't know if they'll keep the Sauber name on the on the tin, uh, but in all the documents, it'll still be Sauber. But crucially, there isn't actually that team principal role that Fred Vasseur also filled. He was CEO and team principal, whereas Seidel has just come across as um, CEO. Mm. And um, the well, the important thing about that as well, yeah, is that this. Binotto exit and Vasseur moving to Ferrari yeah. has fast tracked the plans to bring Seidel across from McLaren. Anyway, the plan was for when his contract to McLaren ended in 2025, he was going to go across to uh, Audi, Audi, and they were going to promote. Um, and, and McLaren was going to promote uh, Andrea Stella into the team principal role, which is I what have no has idea happened what's going three on years in advance. What this is proving from Spanner's face. <laughs> Is this is really complicated yeah, and confusing? It's not it makes complicated. it makes it doesn't make it doesn't make much sense. However, the thing we need to wildly speculate is who's getting those roles. I have no clue. Um, if I'm brutally honest, who's going to come in and do those roles? What would be awesome would be if Sebastian Vettel took a team principal <laughs> role because that would be mega. Uh, no, because I think my crack is doing a fantastic job in general, and uh, you can clip that out. For your <laughs> to your heart's content. Okay, no, I need to take stock here. So, Sauber doesn't have a team boss anymore, Alfa Romeo, because Vasseur's gone. Seidel is now the Sauber CEO. Does he turn up for the team principal briefing, Matt? No. Right. No. His job is really to oversee Audi in 2026. Hang on, the Audi He's F1 good. team. So he'll be the Audi F1 team principal. He will no. Oh my god! What is going I'm on? Still just Sauber CEO. I, I he is going to be the the layer above that. Okay. Imagine He's the big Total boss. Wolf it's a, it's cloned an himself. This would be the Total Wolf that ran all the business stuff and oversaw the development. Because Seidel is a technical guy. Well, hang on. At it, the end of the day, I think we're going to be potentially looking at maybe Alan McNish. No way. Someone with big Audi ties. Oh, wow. Ran their Formula E team forever and a day and had already been talked about as a potential team principal for the team in 2026. Maybe he gets fast-tracked and takes over earlier. I found myself standing next to Alan McNish at the Autosport thing at the NEC in Birmingham. And, and we were just standing there. We were both just like generically hanging around. So really, I should have gone, oh, Alan McNish. Hi, it's nice to meet you. I'm Richard. And I had a conversation instead. I just sort of nodded at him and acknowledged that perhaps you've been talking to people all day and you don't want to speak to a, another random idiot. He's a really nice guy. We had a nice, we had a, a nice chat a couple of times. Ah, yeah. Okay. I, 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 when I was uh, a former E journalist, he was running the Audi team um, at the time. Ah, and I can sense. tell you, he did a magnificent uh, job then, ruled incredibly well. And uh, I imagine ruled. would bring. Oh, I like all the way you've said that. More. I like the he way really you said did. that ruled, 
not like governed or, or led, <laughs> but ruled. Um, he ruled. But he doesn't seem like the sort of like Iron Fist character, is he? No. No. No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't with an Iron Fist at all, mm. but just a great leader, I think. Oh, okay. So, okay. So this is, so he's going to be the team principal. I'm confused why Matt compared it to Toto Wolf. Is Toto Wolf not the team principal of Mercedes? Not, not technically. He's the what? head of Mercedes-Benz Motorsport, isn't he? They don't have a team principal role. They don't have that traditional... Again, uh, he's like Ron Dennis. He's just going to confuse everything. It's just like there's, it's like there's a CEO <laughs> presence. Oh it turns Again, out he sees the whole group. Okay, and then there's someone who specifically okay. is there for the team. Okay, well, it turns out I didn't know anything because I thought that Toto oh, Wolf was the team principal the thing of is, Mercedes. Salba, Salba mm. does more than F1, right? So, okay. what it basically means is that Andrea Seidel will be in charge of everything that Salba does, whereas yeah. the team principal of the F1 team just runs the F1 team. And you think that that will become Alan McNish? when they become Audi. Might happen sooner. Oh, jeez. I, I think it's a good guess. Yeah. Oh, okay. But so there's not... Yeah. So McNish... You say sooner. It's not going to happen before 26. Well, it, it, it might, given that the position is now is, available. Is, is, is empty, isn't it? What's McNish yeah. up to? Is he... Is he fishing? Not a lot, I don't think. Oh, okay. I don't know what team principals do in He's between. an Audi doing Audi things. Oh, okay. Okay. So... Uh, so uh, there's every chance that Alan McNish could turn up as the team principal for team principal interviews on press conference day with Seidel as his overall uh, manufacturer boss. All of that being set up for Audi to come in in 2026 to be the title sponsor or maybe a little bit more than the title sponsor for well, the owner Sauber. of that team. So they will own Sauber, not like Alfa Romeo just putting their name to it. No, there will, okay. there will actually be proper investment and partnership with this it will be a works team this will be a works team glorified title sponsorship well yeah because audi's okay. actually bringing an engine as well oh, okay oh, i didn't know, i didn't know this either so so that would be like a right like, spanners this is why four oh months ago when it was announced i tried to get you excited about it and you were like oh it's not happening for four years yeah, i don't care about it's boring. it exactly 2026 so hang on are they going to be like a proper works team or like renault <laughs> Well, in my head, in my head, it will be like when they were partnered with BMW and they would mix it up with McLaren and Ferrari. Oh, that was a cheap shot. I'm so sorry. I feel really bad about that. But, but <laughs> the fact is that Renault kind of went. Oh no, it's not Renault really doing badly. It's actually Alpine. Yeah, that's why I. That's why I made that jibe. But um, okay, so Vangine, let's uh, let's go back to unpicking this mess. So. Sauber now kind of has a boss. Maybe McNish is, is coming in at some point, but you'd imagine Seidel's going to be the front guy, much in the same way that Wolf is, is doing stuff overall. So that now leaves McLaren without a team principal. No, McLaren have um, and another Andrea. Oh, my God. Um, Andrea but Stella. They couldn't help us out by just having a differently Christian-named person. No, they nope. had to... Wow. <laughs> no. So, so Andrea all... Stella has, has stepped up into that role. And this was the whole thing that Chris was talking about before, which is where it was very much planned for the Audi thing that um, Seidel was going to move up and Stella was going to move in. And what um, Zach Brown ultimatum Stella with was, are you ready to move up? Because Seidel wants to go. Um, so what happened was they did a really sensible and logical thing for a Formula One team, which is they let everybody get out of their contract and just move earlier <laughs> yeah. without hey. any arguments or fallouts or buyouts or or sentencing to court. It was, uh, it's really, really mature for Formula mm, One. I don't like it. I've already had a pop at Alpine, so if someone else could complete that sentence, that would be, that'd be really great. So 
Andreas, uh, uh, sorry, Andreas Stella is, uh, will be a f- familiar name to people who pay attention to who's in the teams and who's engineering what drivers and that kind of thing because it was obviously a voice on the radio to Fernando Alonso at Ferrari and came over to McLaren, I think roughly around the same um, time that Fernando Alonso um, did. And has sort of over those last few years really been taking on sort of more and more responsibilities in a higher position within the team until ultimately he's taken the the team principal uh, role. And there's okay. somebody who's really put in his years in Formula One. I'd be interested to see the kind of job he does. Matt? Well, I find it interesting. So at Ferrari, we have Visur. Ferrari hiring from the first from the outside for the first time since like 1997 at McLaren with Seidel going to Sauber. We now have them promoting Andrea Stella from within. And I think that might be a bit of a show of strength from McLaren, like kind of like Mercedes, you know, you remember they lost the guy who ran the power unit thing. Uh, Andy Cowell went away and the next guy just took over and, we lost this guy and the next guy took over and we lost that guy and the next t- guy took over. And there was no real interruption in how well Mercedes did at things. Mm. And McLaren's just kind of saying like, oh, yeah, well, you know, like it was going to happen eventually anyway. So what's the big deal? See, the thing is, Chris, we, you know, we were just criticizing perhaps uh, Bonotto being promoted from within. McLaren are now going down that route. It's not it's not something I like to see in an organization because like how how long has uh this andreas been there you know has he been you know down there spannering you know was he one of the pit crew is he able to separate himself now and put himself up as you know the big boss the number one guy the head honcho the big kahuna started everyone started from somewhere and you know and stella's came across from ferrari and has been at mclaren for a few years now um, but I think well, you've got two completely different scenarios going on at McLaren and Ferrari uh, right now, where McLaren is on this very much a, a upward trajectory and, and 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 moving things forward, and the way things are going at the moment, they um they they have no reason to bring in a, an outside perspective, uh, where because they okay. already did yeah. that a few yeah. years ago when they were really on the slump, whereas Ferrari have needed a different perspective. They've needed someone to shake up the traditional management of the team. They need someone. Ferrari needs someone to do for them. Well, I say this, and I'm really more thinking of Williams, but I think uh, to a lesser degree, Ferrari needs someone to do for them what Zach Brown did for McLaren, which you ad- accurately reference as being a culture issue that's, that's problematic as well. But it also occurred to me um, that... Bonato is still floating around. And if I was Audi, I can't think of anyone I'd rather have running my engine program right now than Bonato. Oh, let's start that rumor, Chris. Let's let's start PRing that. Well, I think for our uh, Audi has got so many uh, people they can rely on and that obviously from their old uh, LMP1 program, um, which was really the height of these Le Mans prototype cars and very different to what you get. Um, at the top class of Le Mans now, where those cars were producing like a thousand horsepower, and fifty percent of that was from the batteries and the hybrid power. Um, where obviously it's um is a little bit different in F1, and even the twenty twenty six engines aren't going to have that much power coming from um, from the batteries. Um, but you know, there, there's still going to be plenty of people that Audi can 
place in that team to work on mm-hmm. um, the engine. Maybe they do want to bring in someone directly with Formula One experience. You know, Bonotto has got the option now, really, of taking. Does he want to take a team principal? Uh, role at a team that, yeah. that needs him should he take a technical director role should he take a, a an engine specific role like he used to have before he became technical director at ferrari as well you know it, there should be a lot of open doors for him really you've got to think bonotto he knows how to really get that fuel flowing at a good rate really like a really really good rate allegedly Alleg- allegedly thanks lawyers lawyers <laughs> thank you uh, so ranjin that leaves us i think with one last spot to be yeah, Williams. Williams. So, so maybe he'll. So maybe Bonotto will go to Williams. I mean, it'd be weird, but maybe. No, no, or, I... or or maybe because he's just buying everything at the moment. Maybe Elon Musk might just buy Williams <laughs> and make himself um, uh, <laughs> the, the overlording conqueror of, of of Formula One at Williams. Oh my goodness, me or the panel, none of us have any strong opinions of Elon Musk and or Twitter. One way, I just think he's got a lot of money and likes technology. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, SpaceX team. Chris, Chris, F1, F1, F1. <laughs> right. right. So uh, in terms of uh, Williams, Doralton thoroughly unimpressed by Jos Capito. Is it? Apparently, by oh. his performance and his demeanor. Oh, no. Ooh, that's and not good. So although the statement was uh, very ambiguous... And uh, was even even a bit like you know you know he put off his retirement to do this and then we think it's time for him to retire now. It seemed to me there was a bit more of a push. Involved oh, okay, so he's gone. He's They've gone. sent him out to pasture. He's yes, gone fishing as well. Exactly. They're all and fishing so, together on the ex-team principal riverbank. Now, one of the names associated with the role has been Susie Wolf. Of course, Ooh. Mercedes uh, tied in with that team as well, and. Um, mm-hmm its way into Formula E as well, mm. where the Venturi team that she ran was a Mercedes customer mm. team. And uh, that's how she got involved with that, being married to Toto Wolf, obviously. Um, but also with Williams, you know, that was the team she was a test and reserve driver for for several years as well. And uh, had her first, you know, free practice session uh, with as well. So there's a lot of places in there that just kind of seem to fit quite nicely actually and i think it would be a very popular choice and a very good move for formula one in in general and she did a good job running that venturi team as well it must be said they were one of the top teams on the grid yeah but is that a job you'd really want because taking the worst i think it's a bit of a poison chalice because i think we can go back to patty low the weirdness there I think much more so than at Ferrari, I think it seems there is a culture issue at Williams that needs to be solved. And if you look at the people who have not been able to solve it, some of whom have pretty good pedigree. I mean, Jos Capito, for all his eccentricities, quote unquote, was no slouch. He won championships, uh, many world rally championships. And, and as a boss, you'd think that would be respected. And yet, I see I see it written that, you know, the problem might not have been at the top here. The problem is still fundamentally Williams doesn't agree with itself. Oh, well, okay. And that, I think, neatly brings us to the end of the team principal discussion. I hope that everything is as clear as mud to you as it is to me. But my, I think my overriding takeaway from all of this team principal chat is that I care. 
I'm trying to understand who is the team boss. And I don't think that I would have really been in that position 10, 15 years ago. And I'm also astounded to find out that Toto Wolf isn't the team principal of Mercedes. Because I, I really thought... Um, do you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of, Chris, when they brought in the whole director of football role in, in soccer in England. And then you what? suddenly go, oh, he's not the real boss. But do you not remember when Mercedes did um, all their sort of management restructuring and it was director such and such and executive director such and such, where it was all just a management structure and they gave them different titles when ostensibly they didn't really mean an awful lot. And so, so, yeah, because the the traditional team principal role doesn't really exist at Mercedes um, at the moment. And um, I'm not going to argue with it because they've won eight world championships. No, it seems to work for them. Let's look at some more news. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Okay, so we are looking at Barcelona changing some of its layout. And this is very, very exciting. And I feel that this is specifically Formula One and the Barcelona racetrack listening to me, Richard Reddy, in my spiritual shed saying that all chicanes are basically garbage and ruin Formula One. Well, the fight against chicanes has struck a a swift blow to the enemy because it looks like we are finally getting rid of one of the cursed enemy, which is the final chicane in Sector 3 at Barcelona. So the new slash old layout will be uh, you go down the hill to, to turn 10. They've already done some work on that extending that straight, making it a bit of a sharper turn up the hill. But instead of now going right, left, right onto the back straight, it's going to be a bit more of a a flow. So they're going to be on the power for longer at Barcelona. And Barcelona is one of the tracks that I think people love it. People play it on Sims, people watch it on other series and think, you know, it is undoubtedly 
a fantastic racetrack, but more often than not, it has stunted racing in Formula One. And I think it's long overdue that they do they do something to to tweak or to fix one of the best racetracks on earth. And uh, I think, I know, a positive move for me. Chris Stevens. Yeah. So this this uh, movement of yours, Spanners, <laughs> yes. kind of coincides yeah. with some other things you don't really like about circuits, yeah. including camber and oh, I don't undulation. Like camber. No, I don't like undulation. No. Right? Yeah. I think what you want to watch is just drag racing. And I ain't talking about RuPaul. No, no listen. I Look, I, I feel like, and I'm looking around my panel, not everyone is agreeing with me on this. And you're absolutely right. No. I don't like camber. I think it makes things awfully complicated. Uh, and we can't, you know, I have no truck with it. Look at Zanvoort turn four. It's bizarre and strange and no one knows what's going on. Uh, there's some argument for energy error generating but um but really the thing about camber that 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 throws me is 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 yet another feature of street tracks which is rubbish because obviously you want to camber a road to get rid of the rain so that's most of my objection to camber what else don't i like undulation undulation in tracks is a nightmare for rubbish gamers like me who then want to play those tracks and can't see where the corner's coming alex what's the what's the corner what's the track i hate on iRacing? Uh, road atlanta or is it road <laughs> well the one where you went to the wrong pit stop it's, yeah okay yes that, <laughs> yes it has a very horrible last corner that is not mm. only up a hill then down the hill off camber and unsighted yeah. it has pit lanes either side of the track okay which, which is, is very confusing so i have yeah. a question for you Spanish. Oh, okay right go on then if you don't like chicanes, <laughs> I don't. Like you don't chicanes. like undulation. I don't like undulation. And you don't like camber. Yeah. What is your ideal circuit? Silverstone. Have you written it down on a piece of paper? What have you, you written down, down on your paper? Silverstone. Exactly. <laughs> all all racetracks should be like Silverstone. Kind of Silverstone has a chicane. <laughs> oh, a little. Yeah. Well, okay, that's fine. But no. we can we can now now we know that it's possible to get rid of chicanes, we can get rid of club and However, however that chicane mm. is what brought us some of the best racing action yeah. from this year's British Grand Prix. And, so I think... And through goes Hamilton! No, no, hang on, hang on. I will say that because the rest of Silverstone is, is flat and has no camber, it is able to absorb that one floor. Except for Stowe, which is, is off camber there. and downhill. But, but, but I think your point about the okay, chicanes... Okay generally yeah is these safety chicanes yes which is, is coming yes which i do agree with you on and the chicane at barcelona is most definitely a safety chicane in that they didn't like how fast the uh circuit was so they slowed down that final sector for safety reasons and yeah. also they thought that the slower corners would make it easier for cars to follow each other but of course that didn't really work out in actuality and i think now that we've got this new generation of cars that can follow better particularly in the high speed circuit safety in general has made huge advances in those 15 years since that chicane was introduced that maybe now we are in a position where we can bring back the glory of that final sector and allow that circuit to be the fully fast and fearsome challenge that it should be matt make it about tires uh yeah because if you don't have camber <laughs> your tires will never work Ugh. this is the point i was going to make about 10 minutes ago 
regardless <laughs> of what your track surface does, which can also be called camber. If okay. you don't camber your tires, then they won't work properly in the turn. How the heck you did you that? shoehorn tires into this conversation? I just knew he would I, be able to. How long have to. you known me? <laughs> yeah. How long have you known me? You know this is always possible because racing is always about tires, ultimately. Your broader point, Mr. Mr. Trump. My broader point <laughs> is that a lot of safety, as Chris accurately points out, really does go back to 94 and Senna, but it's always a concern. The speed of the cars in corners is always what worries the FIA most. And so achieving uh, grade one homologation for the track in this configuration will be the everything as to whether or not it really happens. And I know uh, like George Russell, did not, uh, didn't he come out uh, talking about that for the drivers a couple of years ago? For Mercedes, this has been looked at for a while. I suspect they want very much to make it happen. And maybe with the with the new bit types of barriers, they can make it safe enough for the FIA. I really hope they can, because I think it will improve the racing. Yeah, so it, it must be said that this is the circuit itself looking to, to, to yes. push yeah. to get this grade one homologation for this specific layout of the Grand Prix um, circuit with the nice, fast final sector. And then it will be up to specific race series or promoters which layout they actually want to run. Of course, uh, the uh, the other big thing they need to consider is MotoGP and bike racing because there was, uh, well, there was a fatal accident there in 2016, which is... We, well, it's when they uh, moved away from using the, uh, ah, the that fast final sector yeah. to using okay. a version of the chicane and a different version uh, well, of that chicane. Well, Chris, well, Chris, sorry, not meaning to underplay the seriousness of that at all. And whenever you tune in, I don't like it as like a sport for me to watch. But whenever you see clips of it uh, and the, the things those guys put themselves through, mm. it is absolutely incredible. There's no doubt that those guys are motorsport gladiators. But why can't they use a chicane? And well, F1 no, they can't use a chicane. But they they can mm. now. But if they uh, well, but here's here's the thing: the the advances they've made in the safety anyway with the additional gravel traps, they have gone back to using the old version of of the um of that sector. But FIA and uh, for bike racing, it's FIM homologation are two very different um, things. Uh, Alex. I, I mean, the issues always were with that long corner was also the prolonged load. So it was more about making sure tyres don't blow out. But I don't think we've got that issue anymore. The thing was, is it wasn't even the case that they've put a chicane in there. They put a bad chicane in there. Because the problem with that chicane is it's super tight coming out of a slow corner anyway. So you get into a slow corner and then get into the chicane, which is difficult to get across. So overtaking into there is very, very difficult. You have massive sausage curbs on every single point of the corner. So it's almost like it's walled in as well. And there's a massive massive sausage curb on the exit so you can't even you know get a good run on somebody or cheat um Mm. but the problem is is what it does is it doesn't bring the cars closer together it actually brings them further apart because by the time you have got out the corner behind somebody they're well on the throttle up into seventh gear and down the straight and you've got no chance we will now see how powerful they're going to... The problem they're going to have now is controlling how powerful DRS is going to be. But we are going to see some stunning racing there now. And this is all assuming that goes ahead. So just to prove... Oh, yeah, it's not guaranteed, is it? To prove I'm not chicanist, uh, because I am going to talk about which chicanes we should definitely get rid of... uh, uh, What's that? What's that, Alex? Sorry, there's one more point I wanted to make. The only thing is as well, 
with the changes that they made to turn 10 a couple of years ago, yes. I think they took away a really good overtaking point. So yeah. it's actually good they're doing this because they're bringing an overtaking <laughs> opportunity back because the new uh, longer left-hand hairpin has taken away an overtaking right. opportunity because you can't dive on the brakes and someone in there. Okay. So uh, but if you look at, like, there are reasonable chicanes. So if you look at a lot of the Montreal chicanes, for example, where they, they open up on the exit and it's all about getting down to, to the apex at a good speed and then lining yourself up and flooring it through the second part, that, that, that can generate good racing still. So the one before the hairpin there's still a lot of overtaking into the hairpin. But when you've got ones that are like real stoppers, and I understand the reasons behind some of them, like like Imola, for example, you know, that's a great example. They specifically put those in for safety reasons to slow people down. Uh, that that doesn't have such a good effect, you know, on the racing. But th- there are some good chicanes out there. So let me address the Canada ones that you mentioned. Okay. The reason the Canada ones are so good is because they have flat curbs on entry and they are yes. high speed. That's the difference. Yeah. You do have quite a heavy braking zone, but you can carry so much speed through there that it is a real challenge. I mean, obviously, having the wall of champions at the <laughs> very, very last one, again, is iconic. Uh, so that works really, really well. The chicanes at the Tamburello corners in Imola came in for obviously very good reasons. The one near the end of the track is a travesty and is just as bad as the chicane. The the one after Aqua Minerali is horrible. Correct. It's awful. Doesn't need to be there. They could straight line that, no problem. Lots of people in the chat are talking about getting rid of the first chicane at Monza. Oh, yeah. Let's do that. Okay, deal. So, so look, look, F1's clearly listening to us. They've got rid of the Barcelona chicane. And, and this is, Chris, we can do it. We can no, get rid of the, the, the first Monza chicane. We can do the, this. The trouble is that chicane is such an action point and you get such oh, it's rubbish awesome action. moments it's, into no, that corner. No, it's rubbish action, Chris. That, it re- okay, I'm, action into I'm that. sorry. No, it's, cannot... it's, it's people just I, climbing over each other. And no, just, it's awkward. I, I agree with both of you. Oh, okay. But, the, but this is where it comes to a good chicane versus a bad chicane where they have the space there to open that chicane up, where it is still coming down from, like, um, 380 kilometres an hour into a breaking point. But they could make that a fast chicane like the Canada chicanes. Yeah, and instead, it's yeah. more like a Spain chicane. Well, there you go, Chris. Is that a good compromise? We could make it an, an opening chicane. So you have to break, yeah, but could. then you've got a chance to floor it out of the, the first apex. Well, of course... The the no chicane version of that is often used by um, you know Le Mans teams who want to prep for you know the the, the Malsan at, at Le Mans. So you just straight line that bit mm. and then go on to the Curva Grande. I don't think for Formula One it would really add anything. It would make the Curva Grande Grande eater. It re- it wouldn't. It would still be flat out. You don't know. I do know. You've stayed quiet on this mat. <laughs> I, it's just I, I'm I'm being highly entertained. Um, <laughs> in my head making jokes about the chicanes in spain fall mainly on the planes and stuff like that but okay okay kids uh, well, okay but, uh, but look there's loads of um of chicanes we can could get rid of um i i think the point that i'm sort of driving at is is the original reason for the safety chicanes still relevant so is there is there any opportunity to go well maybe we can look at F1 as a whole and go, do you have the same safety concerns you had in 1994? Therefore, do you still need that chicane or that version of that chicane? 
Sorry, it's worth saying not every safety chicane came in in, in 1994. No, they like all the came in exactly one. in 1994. The, the Barcelona one, for example, came in in 2007 or eight, if I remember rightly. Okay. Um, but obviously every circuit has a unique set of circumstances. Tracks like Imola, they're a lot harder yeah. to, to mess with because of the just topography of where it is. Whereas Barcelona, they have a lot more space to be inventive and okay. come up with new solutions and of course the new t- safety technology available to the circuits as a whole now um as well is obviously ha- has has made a big difference and i think is is now we're at a point where we can start to review a lot of the circuits okay which brings me neatly on to getting rid of all undulation so uh, the the, no. the the live chat in the Slack group, and thank you to the the live chat Patreon dot com forward slash Missed Apex. If you'd like to be a patron, you uh, they are pointing out that I am a big fan of Interlagos, and that they are alleging has some undulation. But there is a key difference here, Alex. Is you're good at it. Well, yeah, I am good at that on Irish. But do you know? Do you know why? It's because it's because of the visibility. And so, the, my main motivation is to get rid of all undulation, just so that I will have a better experience on sims and racing games. It's entirely selfish. So, somewhere like Brands Hatch, where you go, you go over the hill, and you've got to pick your apex point. One of the best corners in motorsport. I mean, it is pretty spectacular. I'm not. I'm not going to say that. But uh, but you have to pick your apex point completely blind. Same as my complaint at Road Atlanta and uh, Interlagos does not have that problem because it's laid out in such a way. It's basically on a hill, isn't it, Interlagos? So you can see those apexes. All the climbs are pretty steady. So it's essentially, it doesn't have any undulation that interferes with anything. If you go to like Portimao where you've got undulation where you're basically (laughs) being launched into the sun... Or, you can't or, see anything yeah, at Portimao. Exactly, or Mugello. <laughs> you go, well, what? okay, I can see that there's a challenge for the drivers, but what does that add to the viewer? And and what does it do for middle-aged men that want to pretend they're race car drivers in their studies? It's almost like you don't think racetracks should be designed to challenge the drivers so we see the best out of the best drivers in the world, Spanner. So you really think, like, a hill, like, it challenges a driver, but at that level, at the very top level, there isn't an F1 driver that can't pick an apex over the, the hill at Portimao. They Latifi all... at Suzuka. Oh, Latifi, why, why are you throwing Latifi <laughs> at me as an argument point? What's going on here? Um, and that was a chicane, but you went early. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking that the likes of Carlos Sainz and Leclerc and Lewis Hamilton and Verstappen, they they very quickly get used to this blind apex, and it's not even a factor for them. So you want F1 to be accessible to Billy's? Yeah, exactly. Well, no. That is, well, hey, words on. on the podcast. Okay, so Billy is apparently a term from, from like Brad and Kyle and Alex <laughs> that means a, a, a muggle, basically. We're, yeah. we're racing muggle. muggles. The yeah. thing is, Spanners, the yeah. reason your, your point falls flat and is wrong. Flat is exactly flat. exactly. Hey. That's what I want. Yeah. Is the two best circuits in the world without contest, and I won't hear anything different, is Suzuka and Spa, Ooh. which are full of undulation, full of off camber, <laughs> full of wonderful, wonderful corners that thread throughout the scenery. <clears throat> and I know you love both those circuits. So you can't even argue hang with on, me. Hang on, hang on, wait. Let me see if there's any way back from this obvious flaw in my arguments because Suzuka is absolutely wonderful. And this is, look, this is why look, I'm, I'm no racer and I'm not pretending that sim racing or playing an F1 game makes me in any way knowledgeable or what, what do they say on, uh, on, on, on Twitter? Wheel knowledge. You've got no wheel knowledge or whatever. 
wheel so skills. Wheel, wheel yeah, because you're not a right. Because you yeah, haven't yeah, yeah, actually yeah, turned yeah. the wheel around. You haven't got any wheel knowledge. But you but, have these days. But exactly. You, you, ha- are, you try your hand at a sim. Exactly. Your hand in a go kart. I try. Yeah. So, and you love Buckmore Park. Buckmore <laughs> Park is really undulating. It's basically a, a hill in Kent. So yeah. So that's why I say, and I really encourage people to get involved with any kind of racing. Oh, and by the way, I've had loads of emails recently. Um, I'll just give it a quick answer that they've said: if if you want to get into sim racing what is the setup you should go for okay so i'll just quickly say this if you've got a sturdy desk go for uh, like the logitech g29 or uh, 920 something like that that's a great entry point it, it clamps onto your desk you can put the steering wheel under the sorry the pedals underneath your desk and that is just enough to get the wheel turning move the monitor much closer to your face than you would imagine would like literally put it on your face and then go racing and try it out. And that will be the gateway drug to spending all your money on, on sim gear. I've forgotten the original point because now I'm just excited talking about sim racing. Uh, but yes, so we'll get, we've all agreed, get rid of all hills. That's fantastic. I, I, I think Spanner's lost that one. I didn't think you'd all cave so quickly. No, no. Um, so yes, we were talking about Suzuka, of course. And um, when you play these games and you go on Suzuka, you will get a much better feel of the undulation, undulation, say into Degna One, Degna Two, than you will ever get from watching it on TV. Because and the S's. Yeah, yeah, Degna One is something where you just have to just shift the all the. You're not really braking; you're using the brakes to put the weight onto the left hand side of the car, so that you can go downhill into Degna Two, and then and that experience of of just of I can't hit the brakes hard because going downhill that will be detrimental. Therefore, you just have to drag the brakes to move the weight around and that is exactly the same as if you're going into the downhill section of a kart track very often instead of hitting the brakes hard you're dragging the brakes just to give yourself the right weight and momentum to go into a corner and here that that ends my sermon on why you should play a racing game <laughs> i have a question for you Spence. oh got another one when you when you nail turn one all mm. the way through the s's Dunlop, Degna 1 and Degna 2 and you have that breath as you get yeah. out of Degna 2 and you nailed it how does it feel feels incredible exactly hills are magnificent i've changed i rest my case your honor fine chris chris can i have hills but no blind apexes just give me give me that come on no no why clearly at the next round of the f3 cup that we run you will finish no higher than 35th because it's at spa is that the next round at spa yes okay well, you should go and check out the previous rounds, by the way, on the Missed Apex Motorsport YouTube channel. Click the links in the show notes below. <laughs> Driver news. Who wants to go with... Who wants to lead us into the, the Mick Schumacher news? What's going on, Chris? Why is it. Mick Schumacher... And I think you and I might be opposed on this. Why is Mick Schumacher, after a somewhat unremarkable couple of years at Haas, landing mm. himself with what seems like a pretty sweet gig at Mercedes. Well, well, sweet gig. Hmm. Isn't it? Third third driver. Is Soft landing, well, isn't it? Test driver and simulator driver, because that's basically what he's going to spend most of his time doing at Brackley, is um, putting hours into the simulator and attending all Grand Prix next season as uh, Mercedes' official third driver. For me, this is a um, slight PR move for... Mercedes, uh, because it's it's great to have the Schumacher name back at Mercedes. Of course, his father, Michael Schumacher, also drove for Mercedes after driving for Ferrari and mixed ties to Ferrari now all cut. But for me, 
this seems more like uh, mixed strategy to try and get back into Formula One in 2024, potentially with a uh, Mercedes customer team. I am going to slightly disagree with you. I think, first of all, I'm going to disagree with Spanners. I don't think he did any worse than anybody else. I mean, he scored the same number of points as Tsunoda did, and somehow he got demoted. And Tsunoda did not, and is now running a team, apparently. Uh, but more to the point, what I will point, what I will say, what I want to say, is that Nick DeVries not only got a drive with Williams this season, being the Mercedes reserve driver, yes. but also got a seat fitting at McLaren when Lando was not feeling well. So if I had to go any place on the grid and not drive a Formula One car, I'm thinking Mercedes is actually a pretty good lateral move for me. Because Ferrari are clearly done with him, aren't they? And Red Bull don't trust even their own juniors. So there's no way he would ever get a drive in any kind of Red Bull-affiliated team. And so Mercedes is obviously the best option for him. Okay, so I'm going to take some slight issue there. Just a little bit. Just a little issue with your Sonoda comparison. No, no, to Matt. Don't worry, Chris. Oh, oh, don't worry. I I fully agree with what you're about to say. It was a ridiculous Uh, thing to say, uh, Matt. Look, look, what, so not- they scored the same number of points. That is factually true. Right. And and there are so many things just wrong with that statement. Chris, though. You do the- <laughs> they scored the same points. It's just true. There's nothing wrong with it whatsoever. Chris, yeah, do the legwork. Like- I'm sleepy. Okay, fine. Let's be honest. Mick should have scored three or four times as many points as Sonoda scored, given the competitiveness of that Haas at the earlier point of the season and how AlphaTauri failed to deliver any kind of performance at any point in 2022. Um, I think that overall, Haas scored two more points than AlphaTauri across the whole of the season. So say what you will. But, but isn't, reality, that, isn't that... Point be- scoring is that uh, Sonoda only vaguely in a percentage... Okay. But isn't isn't Haas's points total affected by perhaps Mick Schumacher underperforming? And the fact that uh, he crashed in any mm. situation where he might have been scoring points. That's not entirely true. He had two big crashes the early part of the season, mm. and then really it was only that NLAP in Brazil at the far part of the season that was a crash for him. He had reliability issues, as did Magnussen. Because they were running that entirely reliable and never had any problems <laughs> Ferrari power okay. unit in their car. Yes, okay. this is true. But mm-hmm. if you if you look at it as a second year driver against Magnussen, who you know scored a podium in his first outing ever with McLaren, you know I, I think scoring about as many points as Sunoda did against Gasly is probably not a it shouldn't be a death sentence. No. Well, look, okay. okay. I, I, I'm a little bit lost on the comparison specifically to, to Sonoda. And I'm, I'm suspecting that there's a, a Schumacher fanness that I've, I've not detected before, Matt, which is absolutely no bad thing. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm really hard pressed, Chris, to think of Schumacher's time in Formula One and think of anything genuinely impressive that's come out mm. of that. And I'm, I'm only saying this because there's no need to stick the knife in. If he's been dropped by Haas, he's been dropped by Haas, that happens. This is the pinnacle of motorsport. There's no shame in getting a two-year shot at F1 and it not quite working out. Like That's a, that's a magnificent thing mm. to achieve. But the soft landing in a what is a good opportunity, as has been pointed out, as the Mercedes 
reserve driver or even being associated with Mercedes F1 as a driver in any form is somewhat surprising to me because I would not look at his performance at Haas and go, ah, you should then go to the seven, eight-time world championship team and, and now be like fully embedded in that team. Well, like I say, it's a nice PR move for Mercedes, isn't it, to have Schumacher in, in that team? And we know that they've moved around a lot of their drivers because they don't have Stoffel van Dorn and Nick de Vries as their drivers anymore because their Formula E program has ended and they've both gone on to do uh, very different things. And um, I think the oh, haven't they just cut ties with Esteban Gutierrez as well? Gutierrez oh was goodness. in the news recently, wasn't he? Yeah. I can't remember why, but there was, um, yeah, they they need to fill that role. So why not take somebody who can just do laps in the simulator and do a good job at it? Well, and has won the F2 championship. And again, I will point out, it's not so much saying that Schumacher is the best thing since sliced bread, but more saying that, oh, if if you look at his first year, they had the car that they didn't even bother to build. And if you look at his second year against Magnussen, he was ish on par with Sunoda, also a second year driver. So he's gone. Okay. It's an easy pick for Mercedes. It's good from a marketing point of view. Okay. And 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 it's even better, I think, I think for Schumacher, because there's already mm. talk about Audi being interested in a German driver. And a lot of people sure. are, are I, talking I, about him. I'm just but curious it, why you keep coming back to the Sonoda comparison. Like, I, I don't, but, I, I'm, I'm genuinely curious. Feedback at mistapex.net. I'm genuinely curious if anyone else thinks that Schumacher rated higher than Sonoda this season. Because I that, no. that, I'm lost on that totally. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not saying he rated higher. Or, or even I'm equal. saying in teams that scored similar amounts of points with veteran drivers, Gasly and Magnussen, Second-year drivers, Sunoda and Schumacher, it's a decent comparison, and both Sunoda and Schumacher scored the same number of points across the season. Not saying Schumacher's better than Sunoda, but I'm saying he did a similar job, and he got the axe, Sunoda didn't. I think the only person Schumacher did a better job than was Latifi. I, I, I have been very, very uninspired by young Mick. It's a shame. He seems like a lovely lad. It's good, you know, for the sport. Not that I was ever a Schumacher fan, but it was good for the sport to have the Schumacher in. It's good marketing for the machine. But I'm very uninspired by his by his, by his time in the sport. I'm very uninspired by this move to Mercedes. And yeah, I, I think other than some PR and some laps in the sim, I think we will see Schumacher disappear off into the sunset. And, and, and let's be honest as well, especially for a team like Haas, which is, I think, the only team not actually operating at the budget cap um, for the number of crashes he had and the amount of damage repairs they had to pay for. It was not sustainable. And as a young hotshot GP2 winner, despite how strong or weak the GP2 field, the F2 field would have been the year that Schumacher won it, Kevin Magnussen, new dad, been out of the sport for a year, came back and obliterated him. Yeah, um, and that's not good enough for any new young comer coming into the sport. I, I just um, there was one slight point that you made there, Chris, that I might want to come back against slightly was that uh, you know the suggestion that it might be more for PR reasons. Actually, the feeling I got that it was more a, a sentiment, more you know sentimental reasons. Obviously, they have 
strong links to the Schumacher family. And maybe there was just some goodwill in wanting to provide a, a soft landing. There is no such thing as sentiment in Formula One. It was done for a reason. You cynic. I think if any team's going to be sentimental on things, it's going to be Mercedes. I mean, they gave Roman Grosjean no, his, they last, his last go out. Have they not done it yet? They haven't done it yet. So I knew you were going to they mention offered that. offered it to him. Oh, I thought they'd they done it already. They haven't made it happen yet. All right, I'll reserve judgment until that happens then. Yeah. No. Okay. Well, look, I'm not trying to poo-poo it, and I know there's a you know a lot of Schumacher fans out there, and 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 you're absolutely right. The way he's conducted himself in the sport is is incredible. And look, there's even people in our our live chat. Uh, there's Dan there who's saying his name worked for him in favour of getting to him to this point, but feels that it's worked against him once it's gone here because perhaps the working against him is well. There's an expectation, and my goodness, what a shadow you know Michael Schumacher's career must have cast. But I, I'm struggling to say, well, in the Formula One landscape where you could have a third driver role that could go to, you know, a, a, you know, a young talent based on, on merit or perhaps, you know, champions that have come through F2 and not been able to, to land a drive. I am struggling how a top team reserve driver role has gone to Schumacher. Or put it this way, I'm less interested and inspired by this kind of appointment than I would be for, for a you know, a, a hotshot kid coming through and, say, a piastri being put in that reserve driver role. Well, you know, in the same way that we've never talked this much about team principals and their manoeuvrings, <laughs> we, we have never such right. talked about third drivers. You because right. all this hullabaloo yes. about Daniel Ricciardo yeah. joining Red Bull uh, again and seeming to be... You mean the Sergio Perez motivation program? Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, of course... <laughs> He was going to go and join Mercedes, wasn't he? Yeah. And there was, there was a whole, oh, is he going to be joining Mercedes as a third driver? Is he going to be in an interview with him, third driver? he said he'd had a conversation. It was never, there was there was never a contract. It was never, there was conversations had. And, and that was that was as far as that went oh, ever got. For him, for him, he feels like going back to Red Bull was the right thing for him to do. For him, he's taking the break from Formula One because from my understanding from the interview that mm. he did on Beyond the Grid, he doesn't know what the problems are. He just doesn't feel like himself. He doesn't know what's happened, so he wants to take a break. He had the offer to go to Haas. He could have gone to Haas. He could be on the grid next year and go to Haas. He he decided not to. Um, And yeah, and I think Matt has actually nailed it, which is a case of if Perez does not perform, Christian Horner will not hesitate (laughs) to boot him out and stick Danny Rick in. I think not the, 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 I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Perez has another lackluster season that Danny's in the car in 2024. My, I think Perez wins. Uh, he's going to win Bahrain and Barcelona, have a very quick slump and be gone, be gone by Silverstone. That's my, <laughs> that's my prediction. Hey, it's not like Red Bull at all to make big, <laughs> dramatic driver changes in the middle of the season that result in Max Verstappen you, you, getting you, his first race win. You're actually wrong about that, Chris. They've done it loads of times in the past. Yes. Yes. You're welcome. He got, he got you there, Chris. Yep. He got yeah. you. Completely nailed Gee, it. darn it, Spanners. We've got time so for, wise. for one more quick news story. <laughs> Uh, Matt Andretti, tell us all about that. Well, it just popped up in my feed that there was a big press conference in Indianapolis about the breaking of ground for the new Andretti Motorsports Global Headquarters. 
which is going to be in uh, freedom units, 575,000 square feet and cost uh, $20 million, I suppose, which is, oh no, $200 million, my bad, um, which is like 10 times what your normal IndyCar facility costs. And it's because they still very much have their eye on the Formula One prize, as well as participating in other forms of global motorsport. And if you're thinking, I haven't heard much about Andretti lately, well, maybe that's actually not a bad thing. Maybe there's finally some adults in charge there who understand that what you really need to show to the other Formula One teams is that you have enough money, unlike, uh, you know, 2013, Mm. 2012, was that HRT and the other Lotus and so on and so forth. Caterham, yes. To, 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 to bring value to the show. And they have that now. They've partnered up with um, this guy, Mark Walter, CEO of Guggenheim Partners. They own the Los Angeles Dodgers. He's one of the 500 richest people in the world and apparently can show up not only with the, um, sorry, with the, uh, money for the dilution fee that was a 200 million yeah i don't remember what the uh so that's to come in the, as the 11th team but also with yeah. the billion or so dollars it's estimated that you're going to need to have a proper formula one car that can be competitive so if they're showing up with real money then that's a pretty big step on the way to convincing the other teams it's worth giving up a little bit of their share of the prize money to let them in the door because they're still not talking about buying a team. Okay, so when they're still talking about starting their own. When and how likely? Um, twenty twenty six with maybe a new engine partner that Formula One likes. And uh, well, we know that Ford has been sort of circling in the Red Bull uh, tracks again. Of course, it wouldn't hurt for the big American brand to hook up with the big American team. They've been talking to Red Bull, but you know who else has signed up for 2026 or at least expressed interest? Oh, there's oh, there's plenty. There's that um oh the Honda, I think they're called what? Yeah. Hyundai. But I'm thinking uh, of Honda. No, no, oh, <laughs> I thought you were being serious. <laughs> well, the Hyundai. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, no. I've always thought they would be an interesting uh, performer in Formula One, but Honda no. and Red Bull both have put in powertrain expressions of interest honda runs in indycar andretti is already there i mean if Honda's not going to wind up with red bull and they want a team yeah. well if andretti's coming in eh, maybe that gives honda what they want i don't know it's, it's nice having all these options there. again isn't it it is all these all these engine options so that we don't just end up with you know three teams that can win races and then a bunch of teams that have to obey what the other three teams say well there's so much talk about 2026 and as someone who just i've got no patience at all and so whenever you go (laughs) oh in 2026 something 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 i just cartoon animals start spinning around in my head and juggling and going on unicycles i think van jean's the same like i i feel the same Mm. and there is a regulation in my industry that's coming in in 2025 i'm already bored yeah so it, 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 and that's changing the entire way that I work in my day-to-day life now, but I'm still bored. If you so, said yeah, to me... I, 2026 is so far away, <laughs> I don't understand why they don't just do it. Oh, it'll, it'll and, be here and, before you know it, mate. It, it will, will be here be. before we know it. Do you know what, though? Is there anything tying them into actually doing it? Um, what do you mean? 
as in, are they, you know, is there any way to get them in? Because I think the big problem mm. with Andretti coming in is the teams that are currently in Formula One. Because if another team comes in, they have to dilute the pot of prize money that goes to all the teams. And the teams don't want that, Matt. Well, and this is why having real serious money on board is going to be the convincer. Yeah, I don't want to give up any money in terms of my share, but if I can demonstrate to you that my team will bring in more money for your smaller share than you're getting with your bigger share, well, then now you're going to take me seriously. Someone with the pockets of Mark Walter can convince them. I will spend the money on marketing, on selling in the United States, on on increasing the market share of people who look at your cars to make it worth your while to give up some of your prize money to me. Because that's mm. that has been, up until now, the missing step. The team that comes in as the 11th team or the 12th team or the 13th team, which I think is the maximum anyone would really want to see. No, 15. Or. You're bonkers. You and your elves. If they really, really don't want an 11th team, what's stopping this big, big money company that wants to uh, buy and um, sort of fund Andretti buying Williams? Because what direction are Williams taking at the moment with Doralton? You know, Doralton have got money to keep them in the sport, but they're just going to keep propping up the table. Would Doralton take a massive buyout from a billion dollar company? To get Andretti on the grid? Maybe. Honestly. We'll honestly. Like, I'm still not convinced. If you said to me, Spanners, you're definitely going to die in 2026, I wouldn't lose a moment's sleep. That is so far away. <laughs> I don't care. But Can I interest you in something that's going to happen earlier than 2026? Please, as long as it's not my imminent death, crack well, on. Well, Aston Martin has been showing the media around its uh, its new and developing <laughs> oh, factory, we, we, and the yeah. first car to benefit from that will come in twenty twenty five. Oh, they and they are also the first team to uh, to announce a a, a launch. So, so yes. the first oh, yeah. F one launch of twenty twenty three will be Aston Martin. I don't even care about that. I, I think it's way too soon. It's going to be a digital livery launch. That's what they're all going to be this year. This is the oh. thing. Because this year we had a, a new generation of cars, they had to put something new out. And even then, we were still fascinated by all the little bits on this new generation car. What the teams will do now is what they do every other year, because it's a stable set of regulations, is they'll just put the 2022 car out there, put a couple of bits on it and the new livery and that'll be it. But the new wind tunnel is also coming to McLaren. Don't forget. When? Oh, yeah. Same 25. Year. 25. That'll yeah. be the first car to benefit from it. Lads, yeah. you, you're not, you're not getting it. You're not capturing me with your 2025 <laughs> stuff. But okay, it's interesting that the Max team will be don't... a five-time world champion by that point. Okay, now you just, <gasps> now you're just trying yeah, to upset sure. me. Please guys, go and follow all of my panel except Alex Van Jean, who you can find on Twitter by searching for Alex Van Jean. It's spent, spelled like Van and then G-E-E-N, which is it's kind Correct. of weird. But the link... Can, go for it. No, don't, you're going to advertise that thing I don't want you to you advertise. you can also watch no. me and Brad uncut. It's like Missed Apex, but uncut with, wait, wait, with can, lots can, can, of technical can, problems on a Wednesday night. Is it safe for kids? No, absolutely not. Okay, then. Okay, don't listen to that filth, then. Okay, so Brad and Alex are on basically a rebel tour called Full Chat, when you can catch that on Brad's 
YouTube channel, but go and follow Alex in the links in the show notes, show notes below. Uh, there, what I think is a podcast will not be linked below because so, I what we, we we basically say all the things that spanners won't let us say in here. <laughs> You're not selling it anyway. Follow Alex in the show notes below. Go and follow Chris at Chris on Racing and Do that. You've, oh my god, you've got such a, uh, a cool. Uh, media profile now you're really marketing yourself you're a commentator a presenter a podcaster a pr guru where does it end it ends uh, uh pretty soon uh i don't have many talents all the ones that i do have mm. are the other ones you've just listed so yeah. that's about it but i am very good at those things so uh check it out twitter and instagram chris on racing it's rubbish all the things you're good at are just saying things out loud you'll never and... make a living that way this is so true. I make a living from speaking and typing. Things that everyone can do. So go and follow Chris at Chris on Racing in the links in the show notes below. You can follow my friend and co-host at Matt Two Rumpets. You can follow him in real life uh, and he will tell you on Instagram the places he's playing live if you happen to be in New York. So search for Matt Trumpets on Instagram and Facebook and Instagram. at MattPT55 on Twitter. Uh, I'm I'm pretty much Matt PT55 everywhere except for Facebook where I'm Matt Trumpets. So, you know, oh. come and find me. Oh, that's good. I will be your friend. Oh, and I'll be your and, friend as well. Go on, Matt. I'll be what very tedious about all sorts of things. Yeah. Uh, your Instagram feed is literally just lots of pictures of trumpets. And occasionally. Is that, was that a trumpet in the background just there? <laughs> that was not a trumpet. That was a very loud exhaust. Ah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, and occasionally other things. But yeah, I was going to say, cake, trumpets. your daughter's cooking. My daughter's cooking, yes. That also gets featured. But don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at SpannersReady. After all, I am the best one. But until next time, which will be a couple of pre-recorded shows, so I think we're getting Alex Brundle on for you next week to talk about the feed series and how can you gain an advantage on the F1 ladder. Plus... Uh, we can't confirm that other guest, Matt, can we? But we might have something special lined up for you as well. Um, something We'll a... have some techie thing for you, I suspect. Excellent, excellent. And then we're going to do some kind of New Year's prediction show, which will be a prereq that will come out on New Year's Day. And then we will also, uh, I think Catman is talking to us about a quiz. Who's up for being part of the quiz? Anyone here? I don't I don't want to be an active Always. participant, if that's okay. I won the quiz at the Missed Apex Christmas party, oh, so well, I will go. happily partake. Maybe I'll just produce that one and let Catman be the <laughs> host. Uh, but wherever we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. <laughs> Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. 
only from Rustolium. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.